make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Feel the way the cliff at your back gives shelter to your outward view and then bring in from those horizons all discordant elements that seek a home. This is the opening passage of a poem by David White called Coleman's Bed. And it's not a poem I really remember reading before until this summer, until we got back from, from Northern Ireland. And my wife asked me if I'd ever read this poem. And uh, we were in Northern Ireland. This is a place where my, my dad was born and uh, where we still have family. And it's a wild place. The northern coast of, of Ireland is like a, a I don't know, a, there's a churning up of salt air and rain and sun and grasses and wind and unpredictable weather changes. And we were there for my oldest daughter's wedding. Um, she had this idea of, of having a really small family adventure and um, just the idea that we would be in this place that of my own sort of heritage and a place I visited when I was a kid and growing up and like I could never have planned that like I could not have planned my life period if I would have tried really it's as wild as the Irish Sea and the tides and the wind and and it was I was feeling really a, a major shift in my life that's a bit hard to even in to put into words and a shift in the way I'm relating to to the world and to my own life and it sounds it sounds kind of silly but like in front of me is not the question of what I'm gonna do you know like what am I gonna do next and um, it's, it's almost like it's, it sounds sort of narcissistic, but the feeling is like, oh, this is not about me anymore. And maybe it never was in the ultimate sense. And, um, you know, my own kids and really the next generation is rising and my time is falling. It's like, I don't know, the sun has reached a certain point in the sky and it begins its descent and I don't know, all this got me thinking about my own ancestors and their choices and the rising and falling of their lives and their hopes and concerns and their religious devotion or lack thereof. Who knows? You know, what of their lives feeds my own? You know, that's a, I guess that's a question of ancestors and um, what unanswered questions am I carrying that I didn't even choose, that, I, that were handed to me in some kind of mysterious way and... Um, what way of living or being my own what way of my own way of living or being what in what ways will it feed the next generation or my own kids or my grandkids hopefully and i don't i don't, don't i don't know um it's kind of like uh, a sort of in some ways it's an obvious realization but like oh my life and the things that i've been up to and are compost really and 
um, or m might potentially be so. And, and, and there was something about that word ancestor, which is at the end of this poem, you'll, you'll hear it because I'm going to read the whole thing. And um, that just kind of has been bothering me. And what is an ancestor? And I don't think it's just a mere matter of, um, you know, being in a chain of DNA. You know, that's a cold and uh, rationalistic and materialistic and reductionistic scientific way of thinking of ancestors. And I think about it much more like a kind of ideal, a kind of archetype that we could live into or not. And anyway, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's been messing with me. And how does one become an ancestor, if I could just put it sort of bluntly and... And this poem is, I think, pointing toward that. So I want to read the whole thing. And in fact, um, I'm beginning something new here. And this is my 100th episode of Hints and Guesses. And thank you for coming along on this ride and, and for supporting it. And I hope you'll continue to do so. And I want to offer a series of shorter almost like meditations. I'm calling them uh, Eat This Scroll, which is <laughs> an allusion to Ezekiel, and where Yahweh says to Ezekiel, eat this scroll, which is a kind of terrifying prospect, in my view. Consume these mysterious words and see what happens. And, and he does, Ezekiel does, and, and he says, and it tastes like honey. And so I want to kind of follow that prompt and and offer up a series of shorter meditations that are just reflections on a poem or a passage of some sort or a prayer of some sort where I read it and you can hear it and let it work on you and, and consume it away and let it go down and see what it tastes like and let it do, let it do its work the way the honeybee's work is done in the hidden chambers of the hive and um, and I have just dozens of, of poems and passages that are that have been working me and so that's what I want to share and, and I'm beginning with Coleman's bed here and this David White poem and there are I don't want to say much about it just what I'll do is kind of read each little paragraph and offer a few comments and then I'll read the whole thing and just let it be and um, but I, I want to say I was driving in Dublin, returning the car and I passed a, a chapel and it said, um, like St. Kevin's chapel. And I don't know, for some reason it made me laugh, like St. Kevin. I don't know. It's like, I thought of the office or something and, um, having, and I didn't know the story. I didn't know the story of Kevin or of Coleman. These are two saints and they're, they're, they have, um, they're Irish Celtic mystics really and kind of almost of the same lineage in a way as St. Francis. They're these earth-oriented, incarnational uh, mystics who see God in every blade of grass. And um, Anyway, he refers to St. Kevin and, and Coleman here who lived in caves and had a certain relationship. And right, right here at the beginning, he mentions Kevin's prayerful palm, and there's a legend where he from his cave was so still in meditation and in a way so interwoven with the world that a blackbird came and made a nest in his hand and 
which is just just an amazing image and and that's how the poem begins and and he says something powerful about this kind of stance in the world and um, standing at the mouth of a cave and pulling in the discordant elements into a home like like a nest I, I love to look at nests and even to see all the mixture of vines and twigs and human trash you know yeah like pulling in those cords and and those threads and weaving them into something and staying put and I don't know I feel the pull of that in some ways that's part of the was the attraction of uprooting our relatively peaceful and uh, amazing life in Michigan and and settling down here in Georgia and in a place that where there's some lineage and on my wife's side and a place where there's a little more land and I don't know I a, a cave to stand in and I don't know I'm, I'm I'm in in between things have been turned upside down and but that's the the feeling I have to pull in these discordant elements that seek a home that's a, a kind of stance in the world that I'm longing for and Here's the next paragraph. Be taught now among the trees and rocks how the discarded is woven into shelter. Learn the way things hidden and unspoken slowly proclaim their voice in the world. Find that far inward symmetry to all outward appearances. Apprentice yourself to yourself. <laughs> Begin to welcome back all you sent away. Be a new annunciation. Make yourself a door through which to be hospitable, even to the stranger in you. I think so much of my early life was about finding my voice. That's, I probably would have said something like that, and a certain way of speaking or being, and, and I still feel that, but that's not so much the center of gravity for me anymore. And um, It feels like the final or the the final half I don't know, final third I hope I'm not in the final third the second half is different um, and I'm more intrigued by questions like what have I sent away and what about the voice of all that's been drowned out and hidden as he's alluding to here and and maybe I could be still enough again to hear that and that too is a kind of inner stance like Kevin at the mouth of the cave with his hand out. What is my relationship to my own inner homecoming here? Welcoming all that I've been sending away, you know. We can avoid, well, I was going to say we can avoid fancy words like repression. Now I'm using it, so. <laughs> um, what we've sent away and dismissed and, but now might want to be woven into something and I think part of us, part part of growing up requires us to send parts of ourselves away into the basement and and to be afraid of them, um, afraid of their power and and because we don't understand them and and part of growing older is welcoming them back. And here's the next paragraph. See with every turning day how each season makes a child of you again wants you to become a seeker after rainfall and birdsong. Watch now, watch now how it weathers you 
to a testing in the tried and true admonishes you with each fallen leaf to be courageous, to be something that has come through, to be the last thing you want to see before you leave the world. This is the return to innocence, I think, to naturalness, to our own childlike ground of being. Unless you change, you become like a child, you know, says Jesus, and become a beginner again and learn to follow the storm and the scent of rain and noticing how the light is shifting, you know, from winter darkness to the creeping aliveness of spring and that's telling us something that's inviting us into the language of the world and let the world be your teacher you know i feel this like right now no more gurus no more books no more preachers no more podcasts you know but letting the world be a kind of teacher and like the way a leaf turns into its own magnificence, you know, as it's leaving the world, you know, as it's letting go. Here's the next line. Above all, be alone with it all, a hiving off, a corner of silence amidst the noise. Refuse to talk even to yourself and stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. That's the place I'm in, I think. A corner of silence and, you know, there's the facts for me of uprooting my life and moving to Georgia and, and, and there's the stories I might make up about that. And then there's something else, a kind of silence, a kind of waiting, a refusal to talk even to myself and to stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float me out. You know, that's a kind of um, surrender, kind of allowing that I think much of the time we're resistant to. Here's the final paragraph. Ghost then to where others in this place have come before. I think he's kind of referring to the, um, you know, to, to the place of pilgrimage and pilgrimages, you know, particularly to Israel have been a big part of my life and like going to places where those who have gone before us have, I don't know, dropped a few breadcrumbs on the trail or, but he says, ghost then to where others in this place have come before under the hazel by the ruined chapel below the cave where Coleman slept. Become the source that makes the river flow and the sea beyond. Live in this place as you were meant to, and then, surprised by your abilities, become the ancestor of it all. The quiet, robust, and blessed saint that your future happiness will always remember. I think that's the thing with pilgrimage. We go to places that shaped our ancestors or the saints and the mystics. We go to the places where they lived or the places where our own ancestors lived, our parents and grandparents. We go there because we're curious about something like 
What hidden source fed our ancestors? What inspired them to be who they were? You know, we go to the cave of saints hoping that the same source, the same mystery might carry us toward a full life, toward a life worth remembering. I don't know if you ever read the interview between Abraham Heschel and a, and a, a Catholic priest at Notre Dame. And anyway, Heschel is asked like uh, uh, if he believed in an afterlife. And he said something amazing. He said, uh, it, it's a better question to ask, am I living the kind of life that is worth remembering in the next one? You know, that's an ancestor speaking here. Anyway, at a certain point, our wandering ceases like it has to. And we're called to live in a place, in this place, as we're meant to live. Maybe this is, is as close to a definition of soul as, as I can get. Um, to live and be as we were meant to live and be. To come home to our way of being, to weave in the discordant elements, and to come home to our way of being in the place we're called to inhabit for whatever reason. And then from that place, just relate to the world as it is. I don't know, in that sense, I, I, I think that's at least a, the compass pointing toward becoming an ancestor. You know, I, I don't think that's about becoming a saint in the, you know, cliche use of that word or sainthood or it's not based on being pious or righteous even, but on being fully ourselves and bringing home our fragments and making a nest, a place for the, all that is fragmented around us, something like that. Here's the poem in its entirety. Make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Feel the way the cliff at your back gives shelter to your outward view and then bring in from those horizons all discordant elements that seek a home. Be taught now among the trees and rocks, how the discarded is woven into shelter. Learn the way things hidden and unspoken slowly proclaim their voice in the world. Find that far inward symmetry to all outward appearances. Apprentice yourself to yourself. Begin to welcome back all you sent away. Be a new annunciation. Make yourself a door through which to be hospitable even to the stranger in you. See with every turning day how each season makes a child of you again, wants you to become a seeker after rainfall and birdsong. Watch now how it weathers you to attesting in the tried and true, admonishes you with each falling leaf to be courageous, to be something that has come through to be the last thing you want to see before you leave the world. Above all, be alone with it all. 
hiving off a corner of silence amidst the noise, refuse to talk, even to yourself, and stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. Ghost. Then, to where others in this place have come before, under the hazel by the ruined chapel, below the cave where Coleman slept, become the source that makes the river flow and then the sea beyond. Live in this place as you were meant to. And then, surprised by your abilities, become the ancestor of it all, the quiet, robust, and blessed saint that your future happiness will always remember.